Mudarim Daf Chafeim with Aleph, the biggest strategic challenge, Mashma Torah Achat. Today is an interesting Matmonim because we're going to extract a relevant principle, a very relevant principle, and deal with some of the, or perhaps one of the biggest challenges people have when they're thinking strategically, whether about their business or about their own lives. And we're going to extract that from a, a, a matter of, of Lomdas, a, a, a technical piece of learning, by the Machne Ephraim. The Machne Ephraim is a really important Achron, uh, earlyish Achron, lived in the 16th century, beginning of the 17th century, uh, was a Rov in Istanbul um, and in Yerushalayim for part of his life. Uh, and in understanding the difference that he makes between a neder, a vow which is to do something, or a vow not to do something, and understanding those differences, we're going to understand an important strategic principle. This is based on the Gemara on Dav Chafeim with Aleph, where we're analyzing whether we can assume that when a person makes a neder, and we know that the language a person uses when he makes an oath has to be very, very meticulous, very clear and unambiguous. But can a person say after he's made the oath that he had something else in mind, that his intention was different from what the normal assumption would be considering the words he used? And we know that piv shavim, a person has to use language which is aligned and congruent with his thoughts at the time. So to what extent is a person free to say, uh, although in normal language usage I might have given the impression that I was saying X, Y, or Z, but my intention was different. And the Gemara comes to the conclusion that lo people don't do that. People use normal language when they make oaths, and we can use normal uh, language in order to interpret the meaning of the oath. And the Gemara then asks, but is that really so? Because we find that when Moshe Rabbeinu uh, made the Bnei Yisrael take an oath at Arvot Moav, that they would keep the Torah, Omar Lahem, he said to them, You should know that I'm not making you take this oath based on your own interpretations and your own intentions. The intention of the oath is as I define it and as God defines it. And we're not leaving this to you to define. Uh, and the Gemara says, clearly, Moshe was worried about something. What was he worried about? That, that the Bnei Yisrael would have had something else in mind. And they would later on have said, that that's what we had in mind. When we made this oath, it wasn't that we were going to accept the whole Torah. It was we're going to accept our version of the Torah. A little bit like modern times where different streams and different individuals all got their own versions of the Torah. So Moshe might have been concerned that people would have had their own versions of what the Torah is. And therefore, therefore he says, This is by my intention, not your intention. I'm defining not only the words of this oath, but the intention of the oath as well. And the Gemara goes backwards and forwards to say, could he not have just worded it very clearly in a way that there's an understanding that they are making an oath to keep the whole Torah. Could he have not just said, I'm I want you to swear that you will keep the, the Torah. And the Gemara says, no, Torah could be, there are different sections of the of the Torah, which are called Torah, Torah Mincha, the Torah of the flower offering, Torah Chatat, the Torah of the sin offering, the set of laws that govern those particular areas are referred to in the Torah as Torah. And therefore, maybe the person has in his mind, when, or could say that he has had in his mind, when I said, I will keep the Torah, I was talking about the specific Torah of the flower offering, of the, of the Korban Mincha. I wasn't talking about the entire Torah. Um, and, and, and I might have been just been talking about the written Torah, but not about the oral Torah. 
Uh, there are all sorts of ways that he could have interpreted, and Nicomora tries to find language uh, that would legally bind B'nai Israel. So uh, as we go through the sugi, one can almost see it's like a lawyer wording a document, uh, a contract, and just adding clause after clause after clause so as to be absolutely sure that there can be no misunderstanding or, or no ambiguity. And it then becomes a very, very long document. And the Gemara says at the end of it that uh, the reason Moshe didn't use all these different clauses to avoid any possibility of ambiguous interpretation um, is because Moshe Rabbeinu milted the Lord He took the simple way out and said, you know what? It's like these um, agreements that you make when you're working on the internet and and you you download something and it says you need to click here that you accept all the conditions of the of, of, of all the terms and conditions of this particular contract and you don't even know what they are you could go to some other site to find them if you wanted to and there you would find pages and pages so here too Moshe just says look just check this box uh, and you're swearing what I intend the oath to be what Hashem intends the oath to be and what your intention is is not really very important. What the Machne Ephraim goes into is a question of the Maharival. The Maharival is also from Istanbul, about 100 years before the Machne Ephraim. And he brings the Maharival and asks the, the question of the Maharival, where the Maharival says, why would it be that there's a possibility of interpreting the oath that the Bnei Israel took in a narrow form when they're using the word Torah and Torah has a very wide generic meaning. It means the whole body of the, of the Torah. And the example is that if a person says, um, I, I will not eat bread, he can't thereafter say, I was just referring to, where, to bread made from wheat, but not to bread made from spelt. Or I was referring to this loaf of bread, but not to that loaf of bread. Bread is a generic, generic term. And if you've made an oath that you're not going to eat bread, that means you're not going to meet, eat any bread at all. Um, and, and therefore, when the Bnei Israel say they will keep the Torah, why is there this long discussion of maybe they mean a section of the Torah or maybe they only mean the written Torah? The Torah is a generic word and it means the full Torah with all of the, of, of the Torah, Shebaal Peh, all of the oral law as well. And truly, that's how we have to interpret it. The Machna Ephraim answers uh, the question of the Maharival and the Machna Ephraim says it depends whether or not there is a positive or a negative oath. And it's actually the Shalmei Nadarim, I've mentioned it before, as an important sefer on Masech Nadarim, who explains the answer of the Machne Yehud, of the Machne Ephraim very well. And he, he, his point is that if you make a negative neder, you say, I will not eat bread, that negative neder has to be interpreted very, very widely. Whereas if you make a positive neder and you say, I will eat bread, you could interpret it much more narrowly. So let's look at some of the examples. If a person were to say, um, I'm, I'm never going to eat meat, or from today I'm not going to eat meat, then there's no time in his life where he would be allowed to eat meat unless he got a, a heter on his neder, unless his neder was, was unlocked. But as long as his neder was in place, there would be no way that he could ever meet, eat meat because he made a clear statement from today, I will not eat meat. But imagine the opposite situation where he says, um, today, from today, I will eat meat. And he then eats meat. He only eats one piece of meat. Well, that's fine. Uh, he's fulfilled his neder. 
In other words, when there's a positive nether, the the opportunity fulfill it, to fulfill it is is practiced immediately. So if a person says, I will do something and you do it, then you've fulfilled the nether, it's done. But if you say, I won't do something, then you've never fulfilled the nether. You can, you, you, the nether is in place forever. And it's interesting, that, that idea, because it affects our understanding also of the mitzvot asay and the mitzvot lot asay. Generally, we consider the mitzvot asay to be kind of more important than the mitzvot lot asay in that a positive mitzvah, a mitzvah asay, uh, is docher lot asay. We say that if there's a conflict between a positive and a negative mitzvah, the positive mitzvah pushes it aside. Um, and yet there are certain greater stringencies about negative mitzvahs than positive mitzvahs. And one of them is that a positive mitzvah you fulfill when you do the action. If it's a positive mitzvah to keep Shabbat, you keep Shabbat, you, you fulfill the mitzvah. Uh, you shake the lulav and esrog, you've fulfilled the mitzvah of the arba minim. But a negative mitzvah, when are you actually fulfilling the mitzvah? The negative mitzvah is you won't wear shatnis, you won't eat treif. When are you fulfilling that mitzvah? Every day of your life, you're not wearing shatnis, you're not eating treif. Does that mean every day of your life you're fulfilling the negative mitzvah of not doing those things? One can transgress those mitzvahs through an action, but the rest of the time, a lotah say a negative mitzvah is more a mitzvah of the mind than it is a mitzvah of action. Uh, yes, it's true that one can transgress the mitzvah with action, but until one transgresses it, one fulfills the mitzvah by being mindful of it, by being conscious of it, by being aware that I'm not allowed to wear shatnis, that I'm not allowed to eat milk and meat together, that I'm not allowed to do melachot on Shabbat, those are things that I, my awareness of them is the way I, so to say, fulfill that mitzvah. And they're much more all-encompassing because they're guardrails that follow me for the rest of my life. So again, if let's get back to Nadarim. Um, if I say I'm not going to eat meat, then I've laid down a way of living for the rest of my life. If I say I make an oath that I am going to eat meat and I eat a piece of meat, then I'm done. The guardrails are gone. There's, there's nothing more to do. A mitzvah lot, I say, a negative mitzvah or a neder not to do something sets the, the guardrail rails that defines who I am. If, as a Jew, there are many things that I do because I'm a Jew, but there are a lot of things I don't do because I'm a Jew. And the things I don't do are the things that really define my Jewishness, almost more so than the things that I do do. It's the things I don't do on Shabbat. It's the people I don't uh, uh, allow my community or my family to marry. It's the people, it's the things I don't eat. It's the words that I don't say. It's the kind of speech that I, that I don't say. It's these things that I don't do that really defines who I am and defines a culture. A culture is not just about the things that we do. A culture is also about the things we don't do. And when raising children, it's really important that children get to get a clear understanding of our tradition, our, our minag, um, our culture, that there are just certain things we don't do. That's not the way we were raised. We don't do those things. And that establishes the culture more than the things we do. Because when you do something, you've always got the option of, of not doing it again or of doing something different the next time. But when you know that you don't do certain things, you never do them. And I said at the outset that, that there's a strategic principle here. One of the things people find most difficult with strategic thinking is limit, limiting and focusing. Uh, so let's think of it in terms of a business, first of all, to be able to say, these are the things I don't do. 
These are the customers I'm not trying to appeal to. This is the segment of the market that I'm not interested in uh, because I'm focused on A, B, and C. That's very, very difficult, but it really defines a business and defines a strategy much more clearly than the things we are going to do. Because if as a business I say, uh, we're going to make watches, that's going to be, we're going to be a watch manufacturer, then I could still the next day or a year later decide, and in addition to watches, we're also going to make computers. In addition to computers, we're also going to make cars. Uh, There's nothing about the strategic thinking in deciding what we do that limits me or focuses me. But if I say we're not making cars, we're not a computer company, uh, then there's much more there's much more focus. And it's the same in one's own life. To be able to understand very clearly, not just what we do, but what we don't do. It's quite an important exercise to, to try instead of making a to-do list uh, every day. And to-do lists are, are really very stress-infusing um, activities into people's lives. Nobody really gets through their to-do list and it just makes one feel very guilty. So there are better ways of are functioning them with a to-do list. But perhaps one of the things one can do much better than the to-do list is the not-to-do list. Uh, the things I'm not going to do today and get very clear on what I'm not going to do today so that one clears time and one clears headspace to be able to focus on what we are going to do. And um, so, yes, as the Machne Ephraim says, if the Bnei Israel were making a negative mitzvah, and a negative neder, and we're saying we will not transgress anything in the Torah, then the Torah, the word Torah, would have to be interpreted in the widest sense because that's the nature of a negative statement. What I'm not going to do is, has a very wide application. But if they're just saying I am going to do what's in the Torah, they're much freer to be able to interpret that statement as to particular parts of the Torah and particular means, meanings of the Torah rather than the, than the, the whole Torah itself. Uh, and there we see, uh, as learning through an, a suya such as this, to understand some of the subtle differences between being very clear on what you are, but being even clearer on what you are not and what you do not do. 